Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Lefties Lounge Podcast. By the end of Saturday, it was we need to take out the young team. We need to take out the lefties. Yeah. Then I was like, you know what? Fuck. I would love to throw my club in the fucking water. I can't even tell them that I have a podcast, which is terrible <laughs> for the podcast brand, but I'm about to light these guys up. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to the Lefties Lounge podcast. Uh, for those of you who have listened before, we appreciate you coming back. For the new listeners, I'm Ron Newkirk, uh, one, of the co- or one of the hosts, and uh, with me as always, Mr. John Craffick. What's going on, man? Welcome, everyone. <laughs> um, no, listen, you... Yes, this is the mental <laughs> This uh, is what you've all been waiting for. Yeah. Uh, huge episode today. Um, we're getting in, we're finally getting into the mental side. Uh, I've been reading a book, uh, called Zen golf. You've been reading a book that I don't know what the name is. Listen, let, before we can't fool anybody from the beginning. This is a mental book. We haven't been reading shit. We've been listening. <laughs> we've been listening to books. Ah, I have been, I have, right there. <laughs> I have been listening to mastering golf's mental game. Um, and you've been, you're on what Zen golf? Zen golf. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Joe, Dr. Joseph Parent is the, uh, the author. It's, it's awesome. Uh, listening to it is a complete sensory overload. Um, we're going to get to all that. Uh, let's just talk about weekends. Uh, this is my second weekend without golf and I am absolutely Jones into play. Um, I know we're going to, we you had a, a crazy weekend, uh, went up to Maine and golfed. And we're, we're headed there again Saturday. I can't, I, I can't express to you how excited I am to just swing golf clubs and literally drive seven hours during the day to play four hours worth of golf. Um, two weeks is really, really long time. Uh, done, it, done it in the past, obviously, but with COVID, we've been playing pretty much every weekend. And, and two, I mean, I haven't literally touched a club in two weeks, and it is – getting to me (laughs) it's been all mental reps you've been it's been only mental practice literally um just busy yeah like we had both sons birthdays and it was just it's just been uh it's been fun but i'm ready to get back to the grind and uh and preparing for the masters which is coming up um but yeah you had you had a great weekend You, you got to play Yes, I cannot relate. Um, I had an awesome weekend. Uh, no, I, uh, me and Nate took a trip up to Belgrade Lakes, which was, uh, it was actually who Jordan Yanni, uh, FN3P, the previous episode, um, gave us a suggestion. We were, we were on our way up to Sugarloaf. Uh, well, not on our way up, but the plan was to go up to Sugarloaf, and, and he gave us a heads up that there might be a better track uh, in Maine that we should check out. So, Headed up to Belgrade Lakes, nice little three three hour ride up to uh, in this it's a, it's center center of Maine, just north of Augusta. It's actually very similar to a lot of the snowmobile trips I do, so I know that route nice. very well. Um, Familiar. It was a gorgeous morning, a unbelievable, beautiful fall morning. Um, everything was just it, it, everything was lining up perfect. We pull in. Um, everybody's talked about. Well, actually, first. The website of this place was unbelievable. I have to give them a ton oh, yeah? of credit. I'm just going to, I'm going to give them credit everywhere, but the website was <laughs> unbelievable. 
Um, full okay. yardage book, like walk through all holes. You could pretty much play the holes. They oh, have, wow. they have uh, YouTube videos. I had a 10 minute flyover of the course designer walks you through each hole and like wow. his thought process of it. Um, wow. So this place had rave reviews. It is uh, the only course in the Northeast that is on the Golfer's Digest Top 100, which is an I'm, interesting stat. Um, that's a the, really interesting stat. Right? Best pages or not? Like, there's a lot of... No, North, well, Northeast's technically not New York. Oh. So it's, yeah, it's Connecticut, Mass. Um, I don't know if Rhode Island's in there, but New Hampshire, Jesus. Vermont, Maine. But still. I didn't know New York was not in New England. That is incredible. Yeah, see, it's a mental lesson, history lesson. Yeah, we're just learning. We're, we're just, just learning. Uh, I got my yeah. glasses on. I got some blue light blockers. We're doing full full circle podcast here on the yeah. Lefties Lounge. <laughs> it's, it's a big one. Um, the place is known for its vibe. It's got, right when you pull up, you, it's, it's this gorgeous property on the top of a hill. Um, and the, the pro shop and everything looks out over the property. And you can see the lakes in the, in the backdrop. Beautiful. But they got like a little classic rock going when you pull mm -hmm. up. There's, there's dogs on the property. They actually, they, they let you bring your dogs to the course. You can play with your dogs. You can walk 18 with your dogs. That is um, one of the coolest things I've ever heard. So there's a big Bernice mountain dog protecting the pro shop. Uh, nice. giving, you, giving you a lick as you walk in. Um, what was his name? Uh, or her name. I think Nate got it. I didn't, I didn't, it was probably like Matt Wolf or uh, <laughs> Tiger or something. I don't know. They always got name him after dogs. You're a damn idiot. Um, Bogey. Bogey. I know, right? I didn't want to sound too basic. <laughs> awesome, awesome place. The vibe was just like unbelievable. The course was in beautiful condition. Um, it was, it was spectacular. We, we ended up doing, we got a bunch of content. Um, we didn't put anything out on the Instagram page or anything. We're going to try to create some, some different videos and, and pictures and things that help yeah. tell the story about the track. Um, but really excited to get that out. It was we had, we had a lot of fun. The greens beat us up a little bit. Um, we actually both played pretty well considering. Uh, I yeah. shot 80, 85 with 39 putts, which was, <laughs> that was just an absolute blast. You were, you were telling me how many, how many three putts and four putts? I had you one four putt and <laughs> four three putts. Yeah. You never like to get into the, the four putt category. And it was all <laughs> like... It was all green and regulation, three putt, four putt. It was like bad. Oof. So I was hitting the ball yeah. well, but Nate, Nate actually played pretty well too. He shot 104. Um, okay. The course was, it wasn't the hardest, but God damn, is it pleasing to the eyes. There's yeah, just, I, there are these giant boulders everywhere. Um, obviously we were in peak foliage, but it was just the texture and the levels of grass to water, to rock, to tree. It was so cool. Yeah, I saw, obviously, I saw some of the, the sneak previews that everybody's going to be seeing. But, yeah, it looked pretty wild. Wish I could have got up there and, and made it with you. But it's Thomas's birthday, so yeah, that, couldn't that really go. But, um, yeah, that would have been, uh, been cool. But, um, yeah, it sounds awesome. Um, do you – you got anything else on it? Do you want to get in I, – I have, like – I saw the last hole of the PGA. I know we haven't really been talking PGA. <laughs> I know, right? Um, I, I, I think I saw about as much as you did too. Just, just Sergio yeah. pimp, pimp that. Yeah, I mean, twenty twenty uh, just keeps. I mean, Sergio is like, eh. I he's always been a little crybaby, little bitch kind of <laughs> um, to me, but he did 
he, the shot that is, it was awesome. Um, he needed to birdie 18 to win the tournament and he piped a driver on the left side of the fairway like he should have. And uh, he freaking, you know, the tiger walk where Dude. he kind of like, he puts uh, his, was- like, he, he did that. And I was just like, oh shit. Like, and I had literally, I just checked my phone and I saw that he was doing it. I turned my TV on and I literally saw that hole. So it was awesome. Oh, wow. uh, JT Poston was, I saw him warming up to get into the playoff or whatever. And after he hit that shot, it just goes to, to him and he starts dying laughing. Like <laughs> fucking he would do that. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he pimped that thing. And it just, I mean, it was whole high and rolled to maybe a foot and a half. Like, unbelievable. Crazy. The walk was uh, so early. Oh, yeah. The walk yeah. was so early. He knew, he knew he hit that good. Um, another crate, I mean, while we're getting into the, the mental side of things, I guess he's starting to putt uh, with his eyes closed on some holes. Like, interesting I didn't, yeah, I didn't hear I, that I don't know if you heard that but he apparently did it on that one and a half foot pot or whatever but I no guess way. um yeah it's kind of like the the spieth looking at the whole thing and not the ball like yeah I, as you're stroking it's like he, he he explained it as just like he can feel it better like he it's it's the visualization of of everything interesting. that's that's a huge part of what we're going to get into um, so a little, so I just, thought it kind of tied in. Yeah, just to just to make a quick point, I, I you know I didn't even want you to know this, but I'm on the side working on a mental book called Putting Out of Your Mind, and obviously Jesus. with our our big masters coming up, I was gonna keep this one to myself, but that's a that's actually this guy's like major teaching point, and he goes through the process of talking about <laughs> the reason that Tiger's so nasty and so clutch when it comes to putting is is in the similar conversation as along the lines of the visualization thing. So maybe we'll get into that, but that's, that's funny. No, that you you know what, dude? I don't even, I don't even want to get into this. You want to keep it to yourself? <laughs> keep it to yourself, man. Like we all, we're all going to prepare for the masters in different ways. Do you want to be sneaky and, and slimy and just keep your, keep all that shit to yourself? Go ahead. I don't, Listen, I, I don't care. I, I like to, I like to, ma- I like to check out my authors. I have not given this one the full stamp of approval yet that, that I'm going to, I'm willing to put this publicly, this information publicly. So okay. That's fine, man. If I, if I learn a little will. more. Oh, so now you want to copy Sergio? You just said he's the worst. No, I'm, just no, I'm not copying Sergio. No, I, I can't putt with my eyes open. How the hell am I going to do it with my eyes yeah. closed? <laughs> but it, it, it was talking about that visualization process and there were some interesting things about Tiger. So maybe we'll get into that a little later, but. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's really, I mean, shout out to Sergio, but um, I mean, golf, golf has kind of been stagnant and uh, we do have a good, a good tournament coming up. Uh, I, I don't know a good turn. It's the Shriners, right? A good, a good field. Good field. Yeah. Yes. A good field. Um, yeah. We had although our two week break. COVID, COVID did just take Tony Fina from us for a couple of weeks. He just tested positive, like just now, right? <laughs> you you, you got to watch how you say that. You, yeah. You just said, yeah, COVID just took Tony Fina, <laughs> took Tony Fina from us. Um, yes. <laughs> Yeah, he, uh, he just got, yeah, he just uh, tested positive for COVID, <laughs> excuse me. I don't want to, you know. Yeah, you don't want somebody to clip that and then put you on uh, TMZ. <laughs> exactly. Full disclosure, he did not die. Um, yeah. He is just, he says he's feeling fine too. So he's just got to do the quarantine thing and uh, I'm sure they'll get, get going into it. So um, 
I mean, at this point, do we do we give the people what they want and, and get well, into this? Let's give them one more tease. So we did we did film an interview last night with uh, a young a young gun, Chris Ayers, yes. yep. um, who which will be potentially dropping later this week or early next week that we're very yeah. excited about. Um, but our first essentially our first profile into a amateur and or college player in the New England, Connecticut region specifically. Um, so we, we're going to learn a lot. We learned a lot about his story. Uh, awesome yeah. interview. Awesome. Kid. Really cool. Really cool story. Cool to hear. Um, cool to hear what it's like to be a good golfer. Um, <laughs> that was, it was just like some of the things he was saying, I'm just like, man, imagine like being able to say that. <laughs> like, exactly. So, so cool to just, I mean, he was awesome. He did great. And, uh, and, yeah, I think I think everybody's gonna enjoy that, and I can't wait to uh, to hear that once it comes oh, yeah. out. And then another thing, uh, R.I.P. Mr. Skazafava. Oh, <laughs> and it wasn't COVID. We should say it was not COVID. Yeah, this is another person who did not die um, physically. It, it was probably more of an emotional, um, spiritually, like a, a spiritually dying. Um, I hope he doesn't go down a, a a degenerate gambling hole where he, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know really what to tell him. Um, I personally have never only gotten two guys to make the cut. Um, so I'm back on the horn just for this week. We're going to, it's going to be a week to week thing. If uh, we might, we might go to Diverti, maybe see if, uh, oh, Mark see if he can see if he can help us out with some picks. Um, maybe we can get some collabs from everybody. <laughs> who, yeah. Who knows what we're going to do. Um, but, but Tommy did not get the nine people that he needed in the two weeks. And, uh, we say goodbye to Tommy today. <laughs> so, so um, quick, wait, quick recap. So he, so his goal was he had to get nine out of 12 for two straight weeks. Week one, he got, and this is DK we're talking about week, yeah. week one, he got five that made the cut, right. correct? And yes. So he this, got five out of the six. Yes. This week he only had to what? Make four. So what? Yep. Three. He only needed four. Oh, wow. So four out of six. So oh, yeah. well, it was still a decent amount, but he wasn't even close. He only got two guys to make the cut. It was, it was, it was, it was a tough stretch of tournaments, but you hate to and see it. And it was his horse, too. Yeah, but if you could do it in that tournament, I mean, come that's, on. That's like, true. <laughs> that's true. So well, we, we didn't make it easy for him, but, uh, you know, he, he tried his hardest and he was on his honeymoon too. So who knows, who knows, those could have been drunk picks. Maybe we'll give him more. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. We'll but, see. Uh, thank you, Tommy, for doing, doing your thing. And uh, it's not like you'll be forever remembered on the lefties lounge. It's not like you're going to go away. <laughs> That's it. So yeah, let's do it, man. Mental game. Um, we're going to kind of just give our perspective on how much the mental game comes into our games personally, uh, what we took from the books, uh, what we're trying to do with the books, you know, basically the biggest, um, what am I trying to say? The biggest uh, takeaways from the books is what I'm going to give because mine, uh, Zen golf, I really suggest like anybody trying to get into golf, um, you should really, you should have some sort of, mental capacity like what with whatever you're trying to do with the game whether you're, you're trying to just get better whether you're trying to have fun like this this just opens up so many things um 
to the mental side and it's going to help anybody um, whether you are uh, scratch or just getting into the game. So I, I just suggest any like people getting into the game um, might not want to do it kind of thing. And, but this, this is such a broad like subject. This book is that any, I, I feel like anybody can take something away from this book. So it's not like just a boring, like you have to be good at golf or you have to like love golf to do this. Like it's, it's, you could take away um, things that have to do with just life in general. Like it's, it's more of like that kind of, it's just like opening your mind, um, having different perspectives like we talked about before. Um, so yeah, that was, that's like my biggest takeaway from this whole book is perspective. Um, we had talked about it before. Uh, what was it? Last episode? Yes. Yeah. Last episode I was talking about the cops. So like, that is just like having a good perspective on golf is huge and it's easier said than done. Like all this stuff that I got from this, this book, I'm having like the biggest thing that I'm having a problem with is applying it to the golf, obviously because I haven't been playing that much golf, but um, I started reading this book for the member guest and a couple little things that I took away, like um, as far as perspective is like, is almost like your response to things and like negative thoughts like that, like taking a negative thought and just being like putting a little humor into it. Um, I don't know if you remember there was, I think it was like the first, the first hole I had hit a good drive. And then on my second shot, just completely duffed it. And I don't, you probably don't remember, but I said, uh, huh, that's not like me. And that's part of, that was part of the book, like to kind of like poke fun at yourself when you do that, because like when you're getting into the negative, like you can just, just hammer yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just completely steamroll into something that you don't need to. So we'll talk about confidence. There's uh, that's, that's one of the biggest things is, is the three confidences. Okay. So you have uh, a false oh, here, here, real, real what? quick. So just, just to, to dovetail, because I, I, I like what you were saying there. I think okay. when you talk about perspective, I think there's like two, like the main thing for me is it's like mindset, right? So it's like growth right. mindset. And like, mm -hmm. just to exactly what you said, it's like, you, you want to have the ability in anything you do, but specifically in golf to just have an open mind, to have a growth mindset, to be thinking that what, what I am right now is not what I, what I'm going to be obviously right. like you it has to all be going towards something like you're looking for growth it can't be a fixed mindset which is like what you're saying which is like negative thought it's exactly. i hit a bad shot it's i suck this sucks i'm not good at this i'm never going to be able to do this it's it's the whole way of like looking at it as opposed to keeping your mind open like you said trying to find i think it with any situation um especially on the go i think you can you can take so you, you have to be able to take something good out of anything. Um, right. Otherwise you're just, you're just living in a shitty world. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we're talking but, about life and golf. Like. <laughs> exactly. But especially in golf. It's so yeah. it, like, it's so much mindset. It's so much how you view yourself and what your outlook is. And you're like, like your outlook on yourself and your self-confidence like right. that, that bleeds through in everything that you do, especially in golf where, so much of what you're doing because there are so many variables and because it is so hard is subconscious. So 
if you're talking negatively, like you're saying, like, I love what you just said there. What, what was the part? Like you hit a bad shot. And then what did you say? Uh, that's oh, not like I just, me. They, they, yeah, that's not like me. And he says like, you should say like, huh, interesting. Like, just yeah. like knowing, knowing that that one shot is not who you are as a golfer. Exactly. Is like, if you can take that mindset and just like, and this is way like, you're not going to just take you, it's one thing to read this stuff. It's another thing to do it. It's an, it's another thing to do it for 18 holes. It's another thing to do it for a hundred shots that you take. It's like, there's, it's so hard to keep that like focus that whole time that it's, yeah. you're not just going to do it overnight. Like yeah. I, I don't even think pro golfers do it. Like they have to, they lose focus every once in a while. And like yeah. the guy like Tiger obviously is the best mental guy to ever live. I think his mom was a Buddhist and, and did all that like and meditation. And past it. Yeah. So like the mental toughness that he has is just, you can't uh, compare yourself to Tiger. Um, it's just a, completely like I I say compare to Tiger but like you can't it's it's a hard thing to do like um yeah the whole mental you're talking about you're talking about the greatest ever to do it and I know we're not even talking about just golfer like in, in my book specifically he talks about Tiger and his entire process and everything and like you he is so far in a way a mental like genius and and we'll talk about some other things we'll, we'll tie tiger back to this but you're right you you can't just when you when you think about mental aptitude we're not talking about tiger woods here we're talking about <laughs> yeah. that was a that was a bad bad segue because he's just on a different level exactly um what we can talk about is like so what i got from this is like there there's a par approach um which he he harps on and he goes on through everything it's it's preparation action and response so you start with preparation um, and he's talking about like, not just like a pre-shot routine, it's kind of like everything that's gonna get you into your first tee shot. So one thing that he said um, that kind of stuck with me is like, I, I used to like to go to the range before um, rounds and my, my range session would completely have an effect on my round. So if I had a great range session, I would think to myself, well, I'm going to suck because I just wasted all my thing. Or if I had a shitty one, I would be like, well, I'm, I'm probably going to, it's funny how that happens. Like when you have a shitty range session, you go out and shoot lights out. Um, it's hard to wrap your head around why, but there was one cool thing. I don't know if you've ever heard this um, for people like with slow starts. And he does these stories like this, this is what I'm saying. Like you can, anybody can get something from this book. Um, a thing that I took is when you're getting to the end of your range session, play a couple holes at the range. So go th- say you're going to pick a course that, you know, so Candlewood, you know, you're hitting driver off of one. Then once you see where you hit, be like, okay, well I hit that good. I'm going to be hitting a five iron to the front of the green. And then play the whole, like play like two or three holes. And then you're already in that mindset so that you're not like just cold starting. Um, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I, I love that. I love the, I love applying kind of 
that vision, that, that whole visual visualization aspect to the range session, doing it before you're about to play, kind of get yourself, get yourself prepared for that first tee shot. Um, definitely something that I've started to do over the last year or so. Um, and I, and I love it. So I, I think that's a great thing that people can pick up and do right away. Um, so kind of like, I know, I know we had two different books, so uh, we're, we're going to bounce around a little bit, but you're talking about pre-shower routine and, and the biggest thing that that is really the focus of my book. It's, it's what the, what this guy calls the uh, pre-shot pyramid. Um, so I'm going to, I'll give a little background. So this guy, his name is Do Dr. Michael T. Larden. Um, really, really interesting. And, and I'll be completely honest. I, I'm kind of into this whole, into the whole human performance thing. Um, I've read. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I'm into it a little bit. You, you know, obviously. Um, the whole Malcolm Gladwell book, uh, Alex Hutchinson uh, wrote this awesome book about Endure. Um, and it's essentially like what the human brain, what the mind can handle um, and, and how to get the most out of yourself physically, like what your brain can actually handle and, and the process and that. It's fascinating stuff. Um, but this guy's awesome. He essentially dedicates his life to the science of human performance. Uh, wow. Very, very, very interesting career arc he was actually a a nationally ranked table tennis player growing up um one of, one of the best ping pong players in the country um he ends up realizing that there are levels to this game and especially mentally and that he wasn't going to end up he actually i think he went to germany and played ping pong professionally for a year which is kind of crazy yeah. let's um, go and it was then during ping pong where he found himself in the zone in the athletic performance zone which we'll talk about but when he found himself there he got this like sudden curiosity curiosity to just completely drop everything and study human human performance why do some people perform under pressure in the biggest moments better than other people um so it, very very interesting he has he was a caddy on tour. His brother played on tour for five years, so he has some experience caddying. Um, he went to Stanford. He, does, uh, he was a part of – Stanford has this incredible program where they actually put high it, – It's I forget what the name of it is, but it's a class full of elite athletes, and they study them in the class. It's, it's, it's fascinating stuff. You guys should – obviously, we're going to – I'm puffing this guy's tires, uh, you know, a little bit, but <laughs> – it's it's definitely worth listening to his stories on kind of how he got there and I say this because this isn't like a book that you know I wouldn't just be saying this this isn't like a snake oil salesman book he has like facts and you know there's he's done years of studies and five-year case studies and everything so it's it's really interesting but pretty much what his thing was is he wanted to find out what what is the difference between an average Joe and an elite athlete and and what would your answer to that be? Like, what is the number one difference between them? God-given talent. <laughs> that, that's what you would think, right? Well, that's, yeah, that's that's the first thing you would think, yeah. Like, you're just so, born with that kind of shit. Like, oh, yeah, he's just, you know, like LeBron James. He's just, he was born to be the best basketball player to ever, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, like it's physical. It's, you know, he's 6'7", yeah. he's 6'8". Everything, and, exactly. So that, that's what I was thinking too. And that's what he thought a lot of people would think, but that's actually wrong. Yeah. The answer is, so the answer is, it's the ability to manipulate time. That's what, that's what separates 
the professionals from the Sunday Warriors. So, so what does that mean? Well, there, there's some great explanations to it, but you know, when you talk about, when athletes talk about being in the zone, they talk about, you know, they couldn't even hear, like they felt like they were the only ones on the court or the only ones on the field. Like they, they everything, all the outside noise wasn't even, they, they couldn't hear it. Um, a perfect example is in baseball, right? Like you're, you're, you see a 98 mile an hour fastball and, and to the average Joe, it's like, you do, you're barely seeing anything, but to like a locked in Miguel Cabrera, Miguel Cabrera, he's seeing that thing. He's, he's seeing the stitches come off the hands. He's seeing the rotation. He's seeing like, he has the ability to slow time down so that he can capitalize on it. If does that, does that make sense? Yeah. But the first question I have is how? like <laughs> that's it that, and you know, and that's, that's why this is so fast like all this stuff is just it's so much deeper than i can even think of i have a hard time like explaining how i'm thinking like it's it's tough it's, yeah it's conceptually tough. It, it, it is it's yeah. very tough and so that was his goal right it was to find out what is it is it something that a person is consciously doing are they doing it un like subconsciously is it you know is there, are there different variables that you can change in order to obviously like be more present in the moment to, to not allow outside factors to get into your head, to, to slow the game down. Um, and I know you touched on Tiger a little bit before and he's like the perfect example of slowing time down. Um, yeah. so, so we'll get, we'll get into that a little bit too, but so pretty much this guy goes through his whole life, you know, studying human performance and then starts to turn it into based on his relationships starts, he, he's a practicing doctor and psychologist. So he starts seeing professional athletes as his, um, as like a second gig, essentially, based on everything that he's learning and finding out and how can I help professional athletes get to the next level. So some of his clients were, um, Phil Mickelson is one of the biggest ones, Rich Beam, Lee Jansen, David Duvall, Davis Love, like all the, like he's, he's worked with a ton of different golfers at a bunch of different levels, but some of his most famous one. And the Phil one is, is, is great. Um, yeah. So Phil's brother, like here's here's about this guy Michael, or Mike, and no, I think subconsciously he wanted to to get him in touch with Phil, um, but didn't know how to do it. And they end up setting a time to play table tennis at a country club to play ping pong against each other because Phil has a bunch of scores that he wants to settle on tour and like different guys that he wants to beat in table tennis. So he's like, all right, well I know this guy used to be a pro, like nationally ranked table tennis player. Let's yeah, see. yeah. It, had, it had nothing to do with like, hey, I got this mental coach. I, I think you should help my brother. Like it, it was completely casual. They didn't talk about, you know, what he does or anything like that. Um, and so he goes meets what Phil. Snake, <laughs> What's that? I said, what a snake though. Like, uh, I don't want to say that you need a mental coach, but let's go play table tennis with the this brother, dude. right? And listen, I might have totally made that up, but I'm thinking that that's what he's thinking. There's a reason <laughs> that he put these guys in, in, in connection. I love it though. It's great. So he, so he goes like, and one of the things like that he loves about Phil, and I think we talked about it about mindset is that Phil has the ability to, he's just naturally curious. And one of his big thing is he's like egoless, right? So if you're egoless, you, you're, you have the ability to take in different things to think differently than you're currently thinking in order to like grow in order to get better. Um, so Phil was always willing to try different things. Like, he, he put two drivers into play at Augusta. He tried the claw or the, he tried the belly putter. Uh, like he, like, you know, Phil, Phil will do anything. I mean, look what he's doing right, right. now. Remember that putting drill? Yes. The putting drill. Yeah. The putting drill that he did in the fucking, 
actual tournament. Yeah. It's so crazy. So this guy, so this guy studies um, all level golfers for years and everything. And he found out anytime that they hit a perfectly executed shot, they follow the exact same mental process from start to finish, regardless of the individual's like circumstance or physical ability, but it's the same like a mental approach, right? So he mm -hmm. creates this pre-shot pyramid, this mental scorecard that we'll go into, but he decides to finally put it in play and tell, tell Phil about it. So he tells Phil, hey, he's watching him go through a range section, a range session, he walks over um, and he's like, hey, just tell me what you would do, like go through a, a, your process of hitting a shot in a tournament right now. So he goes through it, Phil hits a shot, then he turns back, explains to him the pre-shot pyramid and Phil takes a second, He's like in, in, in such Phil fashion, he, he sits there, he like takes a couple deep breaths, closes his eyes, takes it in, does the pre-shot pyramid. And this dude said, he, he didn't even, the first shot he hit, he said he didn't even have to turn around here. Phil hit the flag. No the shit. First shot. Then he alternated hitting baby cut eight irons and high drawing nine irons to a circle within four feet of a flag that was like 158 yards away, tucked on a little like, you know, little a little slope and uh the guy said like he's been around hundreds of pros he caddied on on tour um yeah. he's been around hundreds of pros work with him everything he's like i've never seen anything like it so phil like immediately was bought in the next week phil goes and wins the houston, uh, shell houston open which is kind of crazy so he literally just put this <laughs> into play they go on to win um it's actually phil had that the i think it was in 13 in marion when he blew that u.s open oh yeah he actually works oh. with this dude, Michael, and they changed his whole mental approach. And he went, came next week, won the British Open. Um, and it was a big thing because we talk about like mindset. Phil always said publicly and out loud, like the British Open is not for me. I don't, I don't shape the ball like that. I, I can't play that type of golf. Instead of seeing the British Open as an opportunity to win another major, which is what that Michael dude tried to instill in him was, you can't be going into this tournament thinking like, even if you're not saying it, you've already said it out loud and you, you, you are thinking it in some way that, oh, I, I can't play this course or the wind's going to be too tough. The setup isn't going to, the setup doesn't suit me. So instead he changes the whole way he's thinking about it. Oh, you know what? I can, I can do this in this situation. I can, I can hit this kind of shot. You know, I'm, I'm Phil Mickelson. Um, goes out, yeah. wins the British Open. So crazy. Um, so this guy, go, you know, he's telling a bunch of different stories. It's, it, I know I'm jumping around a little bit. He's got a bunch of professional clients, but this guy's got a legit, like, he's legit. And obviously, I mean, it's Phil. He's got, Phil is his lead dog. It's not bad. Absolutely. Yeah, um, it works. <laughs> it works. So now getting into the actual, now that we tell his little background, getting into the actual components. So this guy breaks it down into six components of mental excellence, right? Okay. The first one is exactly what you're talking about. It's the mindset. Um, it's what, like, what, what is your attitude? You know, so it's, and the, there were my biggest takeaways from the attitude portion, just to, to kind of summarize it is, like he says, your attitude and expectations will set the parameters for how you play, no matter what the stakes are. So your attitude going into that and expectations. So what does that mean? Well, there, there are a lot of different ways you can take that, but he talks about it specifically being process orientated or results orientated. And the problem is, is that as human beings, as people, we're so results orientated, right? Like it's right. so, it's so numbers based. Everything that we do subconsciously revolves around numbers. Now, right. the, the problem is that 
in order to get into the zone that they call, that, that he talks about, is that you have to essentially have a clear mind. You can't be thinking, you can't be thinking in a numbers-based result. So what does that mean, right? So when we talk about results-based, that means, you know, I, I'm going to, I want to shoot under 80. I want to break 80, a number. Mm-hmm. I want to hit, you know, a driver 15 more yards, a number. I want to mm-hmm. hit 10 more greens, a number. That's all results-based. That's great, but that doesn't do anything for you if, one, you're negatively thinking about things, whereas, like, like putting 80, like you, like I need to shoot 80. You're, you're essentially creating a mental barrier for yourself that, that distracts you from the job at hand. Your job is not to go shoot 80. It's to go execute 80 shots or 79 shots all on their own. So, so you, there's this kind of like, it's the wrong way to set goals essentially is you shouldn't be thinking result based and numbers based you should be thinking process. So instead of saying, I want to shoot under 80. I want to hit driver 15 more yards. I want to hit 10 more greens. It should be, I want to complete a, a pre-shot routine before every swing. I want to improve the way that I visualize shots. I want to compile accurate distances with my iron so that I know that I'm like dialed into the exact shot. Does, does yeah, that's sense? a cool, it's a cool perspective and kind of to bounce off this, it's kind of correlated. Um, you're, you're saying like, it's not all number based, but um part of this part of my book um he says to change par so like so like even on a hole or something like all the conditions are never going to be the same so like if you're if you go out and you play the same course but it's pouring or it's windy or like all the conditions are different so you can't expect to go shoot an 85 one day it's rainy the next you can't expect to shoot that 85 again because the conditions are completely different so he says that you could try and this is kind of a number based thing, but you can just change a par of a hole, like the number one par on the hole. If it's a par five, really long hole, change it to a par seven. That way, that way your mindset is just like, okay, well, if I hit a bad shot, I still have six more shots that I could do. Like, so it's kind of correlated where like you kind of like, you kind of adjust the results. Yes. For what you're saying. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, some people might be better with the numbers and some people might say, okay, go hit a couple good shots and, and, or I need to do this well, or I need to do this well, but you can change. Like, it's, it's cool to see the perspective of that guy because like it does, it's, it goes hand in hand with what he, what, uh, parent is trying to say. And that's the author my book. So I, that's, it's, it, I like this. <laughs> so it, it, and it's really, it's all about like building self-confidence, right? It's, it's, it's the attitude. It's, it's how to, you know, what's your outlook on the game? It, you know, you, it can't be, it, you just can't allow negative thoughts to come in, you know? That's the biggest thing on my book. And we'll, we'll I'm going to just jump in because confidence is a huge thing. Um, in this book is trying to achieve unconditional confidence. I know we said that before, um, and what unconditional confidence is, is like we talked about um, having one shot. One shot does not represent your whole round. So if you, if you let the, the steamroll happen and the quicksand happen and you're negative, 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 you're having conditional thoughts, conditional confidence. Now, conditional confidence could be either way. You could you, conditional confidence could be great, like you're shooting well, you're shooting great through 13 holes, you're really, you're, you're, you're just grinding, feeling good. 
Then that one thing happens and it's the complete opposite. So like conditional confidence goes with how you're playing. Yeah. Unconditional confidence is just looking at the bigger picture and having like, he says like, think about like how small you think your mind is. Like then think about like the universe and like how big your mind could be. Like it got, it got deep there for a second. Like, that is trippy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you have to like, unconditional confidence is being okay with anything and it's your response to things and it's the negative thoughts and like but confidence is huge like it's everything yeah we touch on that a little bit with uh with chris next week but it's you have to be confident in every single shot that you that you do yeah um yeah touching on that touching on that heat and i'll bring this up because i thought you, you you almost hit it exactly on the head is he said that as a high handicapper when you go into rounds, you, you need to know what you are. Like, you need to know who you are. You, you, yeah. you're, like, uh, like, you know, we're, we're double digits right now. So what does that mean? It means you're going to hit some shitty shots, but you need to understand and prepare for that. And your sole focus, and this is like something specifically for, for high handicappers, your sole focus should be how you respond to the shitty shots. Exactly. Not, it, it shouldn't be anger towards the inevitable. You know you're going to do it. What, why are you going to go get pissed off that you duffed one or you double? Like, yes, in the moment, does it suck? But if you think next time, go out and play around, you know you're going to hit five or six shit shots. The minute yeah. you hit those shit shots, the, your sole focus should be, what's next? How am I going to – how am I, How is that not going to happen on – you don't even – I mean, you could just get into a completely new mindset. But take the next shot for what it is. It's just another shot. Yeah, I, I, this has nothing to do with either books, but I was playing with some guy and he said, I'm not good enough to get mad. And I feel like every single person, I love that. <laughs> like everybody that we play, like, unless you're on tour, you're not good enough to get mad at golf. Like, I love that. There, there's a stat in there that 1% of golfers have shot par. That's Think crazy. about that. That's crazy. 1% of golfers. About to be 1.1. That's it. <laughs> but no, I love whole, that. it's just so the whole mental thing is like this book is so broad and like it's just what you take out of it. And, and so much of it is just responding. And like it's, it's so easy to talk about here, but like going and, and actually doing it on the course is just it's, it's big- tough. It's very tough. hard. And, and that's one of the biggest things that I, that I love this book is that he and we'll get into it a little bit later, but he gives you that outline as far as like a mental scorecard and an easy way to kind of just keep that because it is, it's so hard to stay focused on each shot on any these individual things. But when you look at, when you think about it holistically and you start taking that mindset approach in, I think it's where it starts to get easier is it, it starts to become more routine for you. Um, well, that's the thing. If you make it a routine, you're going to get better every time. And like, I was having a hard time because like I was so locked in and dialed in for the member guest that the next couple, I think I played two rounds after that and I couldn't do what I wanted to do. So like now I'm thinking, I'm like, all right, what can I do to like, yeah. Like, how did I get there? Like how did, so I, yeah. breathing was a huge thing during member guests. Um, yep. I never yes. really, I never really like counted breaths and stuff like that. But um, if you have, if, if you don't know breathing techniques or anything like that, try and just, count your exhales and get to like 10 without having any other thoughts in your head 
and it's hard to do. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a little meditation. It's, it is hard. I know. Yeah. It's like you, you may like listening to this thing. Oh yeah. I'm counting 10, but to actually clear your mind and actually like just focus on your breathing and it is a meditation, but to do that is really, really hard. And, yeah. and, 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 and the thing is like, that's not, it's not, that's not like a fluff piece. Like when you talk about breath work, like that is clinically proven, like it's going to lower your heart rate. Like you are going yeah. to relax your central, it's going to come down. Um, so the biggest yeah. thing from that is that I care. I don't even know if I told you this before, but I carry so much tension in my left foot. What in God's it's, name? That's what I learned from the member guest. Interesting. The breathing techniques and stuff like that. Because he tells you like to try and relieve like all the tension in your body and like really loosen yourself. So like when I would do that, my my toes would like are curled. <laughs> so like it's yeah. such a weird thing. But like once I once I loosen up my cramp. foot, <laughs> yeah, it's called yeah, it's called being old and not drinking <laughs> enough water. Um, but once I once I would do that and like actually like feel like no tension, you you realize like what kind of swing you have in you. And that's, that's what it's getting to is like, everybody knows how to swing and we've all hit at least one good shot. So it's there. Yeah. We know how to do it. It's just getting into a mindset and, and doing what your body, like what you're, let the athlete come out of you. Exactly. And that's going to be a big part going forward is it's let, let yourself be athletic. Let, let it, let it be natural. Um, so that was the, so attitude's the first component. Second component's motivation. Um, I think that that's very personable or that's very personal. Um, he does a really good job of like, you kind of take self inventory of, of where you're at. Like, what are you looking to get out of the game? You know, what, what motivations do you have? Like, why do you play golf essentially? Right. Um, so everybody can do that individually. You know, how can you use your motivations to your advantages? Um, the next one is control though, which you just touched on a little bit, but it's really controlling your emotions, right? The, yeah. uh, you know, fear, um, whatever it is, anxiety, just handling frustration, different things like that, right? So it's control. Um, and he actually gives a great example, and this was the tiger example, but the thing with emotions is, is it, it can go both ways, right? It can be a shitty shot, but it can also be a really good shot. Um, mm. and, and what does that mean? Well, that means is, you know, you go make birdie on, you know, say the big dog shootout, the first hole you make birdie, that mm. energy and that that emotion, those are like, you're jacked up. You're, you're now, you're not in, unless you settle yourself down back in, you're not in the right mindset to go hit a shot. That's where you get quick. That's where you, you know what I'm saying? Oh um, yeah. So it goes yeah. both ways where it's negative and positive. And who does he say is the greatest example for this? Sir Tiger Woods. Tiger um, Woods. Yeah. And, it was, and it was interesting because I was, I was, and I was very curious of like where he's going to go out to say, Oh, what is he going to talk about? You know, Tiger's mental aspect of it. And he, he put it so perfectly. He was like, watch the way that Tiger walks. And I was like, yeah. huh, that's interesting. He said, like, Tiger always walks with a purpose. There's a pace to his walk. Everything, that, everything that he does is so, it's so calculated. And if you watch him, whether it's a bad shot or a good shot, he goes through this process of, like, right before he's about to pick a club, it's, he's, he clears his head. It's completely clear. He takes a second, takes a mm -hmm. breath. You know, you might not even see it, but he's doing it. He clears his head. And then after he hits a terrible shot or after he hits, you know, he makes eagle, he take, he walks off that green, he stops, he takes time, 
and then he gets back on his walk because essentially what he's doing is is he's he's controlling his emotion and it's hard to control emotion obviously and emotion is a good thing anxiety is good um like all of these things like you said you know there's different ways to combat them the breath work is probably one of the best um but again it's like it's understanding that you're gonna get affected by you know these big swings of emotions, but how do you handle it? And it's recognition, really, too. Like you have to you have to be able to recognize, like, okay, I'm pissed off, or I'm that, like, and and get better at controlling that because, like, I obviously I'm a, uh, I could be a hothead, um, get pissed off, but um, another cool thing that I do is I have a ten yard rule, okay. <laughs> Hopefully you hit the ball farther than 10 yards um, because it wouldn't apply to this, but you could be as mad as you want for 10 yards of your walk or 10 yards of that cart ride. After that, you need to, you need to wash it. Goldfish mentality. Like we talk about, like forget about it, get up there, go through your routine, do your thing. Like that's, that's part of like the emotion, like, and, but you need to recognize too, like, okay, like, yes, I'm allowed to get mad, but I also, I'm a, I have to control it and then be and get back to square one and let them, you know, let my body do the thing. Like, yeah, yeah, no, I like that. And it's the same thing with anxiety. It's like nerve. That's the thing. It's like nerves, anxiety. Like that's a good thing. If you embrace it, like, right. That, that just means that for whatever reason that it matters to you. So right. it, it, it doesn't mean that it should affect the way that your body moves you shouldn't yeah. let it. You know what I mean? You shouldn't let it. You still got to get into that right mental state instead right. of thinking. And, and, you know, we could go deep and um, that's what I'm saying. I feel like it's so, it's so hard to it's surface to, level. Yeah. It's so hard to do like it's it, yeah. You know so that's, I, and wait, listen, we're getting to that. Cause I want the pre shower routine. And I think you're going to really like this too. And, and yeah. for our listeners too, you don't, you don't know anything about this. Obviously we kind of went into this reading two separate books and we're, yeah. we're, we're unpacking it right now. Um, there's so much. <laughs> there's so much. So we'll, we'll get into that. But the next one is optimization. Um, it's really just like, you know, we talk about it, positive thoughts, changing negative talk, talk about yourself. Um, can you do different things if you know, like, like what you're saying, changing par is like a perfect example of one. Yep. Um, he talks about if you if you're if you're really struggling to finish like the last three holes of an eight of 18 holes pretend that you're playing 27 holes and the 27 holes matters pretend that there's like a another nine like there were some different examples but really just like mentally optimizing you know strong you're really just looking for strong performances hole by hole to just put into a bank remember those those good holes obviously we're, we're talking yeah. positive the whole time um, right right and again like this is a, like we could you could talk and talk and talk, but it is so damn hard. <laughs> it is. It is, but it's, 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 it's all a process. And let's see. So the next one is concentration. Um, yeah. This one is really interesting because this one I think is really hits a chord with a lot of us too. Um, and he talks about it as a narrow and a wide focus. So a narrow focus is hyper focus. So that is really the only time that you should be in a narrow focus is when you are in your pre-shot routine. A wide, a wide focus is scanning is just being aware, aware of everything around you, just where you are. What's the, you know, what are the conditions of the course? How is this playing? What's the wind doing? What are, what are these different things? And the problem is, and this is definitely a problem that me and you have, um, 
is it is way too mentally taxing to live in a narrow mind focus. So what does that mean? That means that it, it is too hard. Uh, you know, how long is a round of golf? Four hours. So yeah. you cannot be hyper-focused for four hours going, like, going through everything. It has to be specific to only the pre-shot routine. And what happens right. is, is people get mentally drained and, you know, they can't handle the mental load. People talk about it all the time. Like, oh, I was just, I'm, I was mentally just shot. Like I, I couldn't focus anymore. And really what that is, is you have to have the ability to have a narrow focus and a wide focus. And that's that means, the thing. It's so that's hard to like walk. Yeah, exactly. It's so hard to shut it on and off though, because like when I am in that narrow focus, I want to stay in it because I, I, I don't want to like, I'm usually doing good and I don't want, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You don't believe that. So but, then I could see that you're so narrow fo- and then you run out, but if but you now, break it up, if you break it up, but now you, you understand that. See, this is, I, I, I feel like I, I, I might have to email this guy, see if I get a cut of his commission. Um, because you're, yeah. you're, you're saying everything perfectly as to, as to why like this, his, pyramid and his pre-shot routine works which we're we are about to get into but i but isn't doesn't the narrow and wide focus like isn't that extremely relatable no it's so relatable and all of like that's the biggest thing i found it's all relatable yeah like i said i I, it's so i have such a hard time doing it yeah it's it's just gonna take it's gonna take a long time you know that's that was the coolest part about the book is he does a really good job of articulating that this and, and everything that we're talking about as far as like the mental side of it is the coolest thing is, is that what we go through, what we're going through, the way that we're thinking about this is the same way that pros are thinking about this. Like he, he's like the, the direct correlation is there. It's just ability. It's just the difference right. is ability. Like they're going through the same struggles that me and you are going through as far as when we talk about the hyper focus and like wanting to dial in too much. Like he's got, mil- he's got so many clients, not millions. He's got a bunch of clients that like this is, this part of the six pillars is like all they focus on because they're, right. they analyze too much. They're just always hyper dialed in. It's like, you cannot survive four days on the tour, 72 holes in that state of mind. You'll never make yeah. it. Um, You'll die. So it is, it is very relatable. Um, all right. So finally we're here. So the planning process. So what is, so, so what is the routine, right? He does a really good job of breaking it down in the sense of, and a lot of people may know this from, Jesus Christ, what is it? Anatomy, biology, whatever. But the left and right part of our brains, right? The left part of our brain is way more uh, like conscious, way more calculated. Uh, you know, should I do this? Is this right? Is this right? Is there danger? Is there fear? That's the left side of your brain. The right side of your brain is way more creativity, imagination, really like the, the, be, the be an athlete, the be yourself type of that's the right side of your brain. So the way to think about this is, this is a pre-shot routine pyramid. There are three steps to it, that's it. These three steps are repeated for every single shot. The first shot is step one. This is called planning. So this is the left side of your brain. Sorry, this is called calculating. So all that means is, this is, we're now entering the pre-shot routine. We are factoring in the variables. So what does that mean? Distance, wind, trajectory, club selection. And everything that you normally do to take that to choose a club for the shot, very normal, right? That's step one. Every every you yeah. everybody should be doing that. You should be you should, yeah. You should, you should be looking like, at your lie. You should be going through everything. You get you know you get yourself ready. Yeah. 
right? So very easily. So that's your, that's your, um, that's your calculation. That's your, that's your conscious thought of, okay, how's this, you know, what do I have in front of me? Step two is the right side of your brain, the creativity. So what does that mean? That means use your imagination to create feel or to visualize your shot you're going to hit. So it, it, it really is as simple as you go through step one, you pick the club that you're going to hit. All right. So let's say for this example, let's say we're going to hit a, an eight iron, just a full eight iron. All right. With that, that decision has been made. We're done with that. There's no more calculation. There's no more anything. We pick the shot that we're going to hit. We pick the club. We are sorry. We pick the club. Now we're going to pick the shot. So what does that mean? So for some people, maybe you play a draw, maybe you play a fade, you know, the way that your ball flight generally looks or the way that you want your ball flight to look. Right. So now visually see it. Can you actually, and that's why you, when we talk about Sergio closing his eyes, yeah. like visually see it. Like you want to watch the ball. If everything goes right, how's it going to land? Where's it going to be? Jason, Jason Day does that. If you, yes. if, he if closes you his eyes, right? If you haven't seen that, I think that's part of the reason why uh, he plays so slow. Um, every single shot, you'll see him go back and he holds his club out and he, he has his eyes closed and he doesn't go like I've watched him before and he does not move until he is ready. Yep. Like until he sees that ball land and like, you'll see him like walk up and then he'll go back and stop. And then he'll like, it's crazy to see him. And I was always, I always wondered what he did. And then I finally, I watched a little thing on him and visualization is it's huge. I, I actually did that in the member guest too, and it helps a lot. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and so we were actually talking to Chris, um, Chris Ayers about it, division one player at old dominion. And when I brought up the visualization thing right off the bat, I was like, Oh, he's probably, you know, he definitely sees his shot. And he immediately was like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't even think about the ball flight. I don't see the ball flight. I don't look at that. All I'm doing is picking a target. So maybe right. for you, that that's the way it works is maybe it's just specifically, I'm going to pick a tree. I'm going to hit. Maybe you can't, for whatever reason, visually see that shot, but visualize a target. Essentially what you're trying to do is, and we talk about left brain, right brain. So you calculate, you make all your, you let yourself think about it. And then you really, what, what that step two is, is it's just, it's letting the right side of the brain, the creativity side, uh, the natural, the, the smooth, like, you know, it's letting yeah. that side take over. Yeah. And so what that does is you're almost subconsciously putting yourself into a position where you're not thinking about negative things. You're not thinking about the water on the left. You're not thinking about anything. All you're thinking about is that ball is going to go right there. So, yep. that's step, so that's step two. Step three is called the performance trigger. Um, and essentially that is just executing the shot with a clear mind or a single simple swing thought. And that, this is one of the coolest things that I'm very happy to think about because I was so in my head about my swing and everything and I've really gotten back to this feel thing and so performance trigger so what does that mean he's like you shouldn't be thinking about your you know uh like checkpoints you shouldn't be thinking about all right I gotta get my hands to here I gotta get my hips to here I, sh I gotta there shouldn't be you shouldn't have that much again and this is just this guy's process everybody has their own process but his thought his his idea and this is from looking at the way that the brain interacts as they're going through this as you're going through this is do not over keep everything as simple as possible. Cause you're in a creative set of mind. You're in a creative mindset right now. And you just now need one thing that's going to trigger you to make that swing as, as athletic as possible. So it could be something as simple as just what he says is like finish high. 
And that might just mean for you, like hold your follow through. For me right now, what I'm doing is all I'm thinking about is tips. And, yeah. and all that's doing is just telling me that for me to be successful in my swing, I, it, it all, it's all about my hips. Yeah. Um, so I'm not thinking like, okay, put like, make sure that, you know, my left ass cheek is getting back as I, on my back swing and, and really like clear through here. It's not that, it's not that at all. It should be as simple as just like hips. And that should just make me, and really what that's making me think, and I'm trying to get that, um, trying to get it built, uh, beaten into my brain is all hips means is just speed. Cause that's where, right. like, that's where it comes from. So all hips is really telling me is swing hard. I mean, it could be as simple as like contact, like just contact. Exactly. It's contact, like right it, on head like, down, like eye yeah. on the ball, like extremely exactly. simple. Anything. So, I like anything. that. So really what it is, is it's, this is the pre-shot pyramid. It's extremely simple. First one, calculate, take in everything and select the club. Which we Second all one, yeah. Which we all do. Yep. Second one. Yep is allow feel and visualization like see the shot that you're about to hit sorry so for the second step as far as like feel so this is so think about it this way right so the first one you're standing behind a ball you're picking a club then you're about to go into your pre-shot routine so your pre-shot routine can be anything but you should it should always be very similar um, right and and that's what when we talk about like visualizing he's saying create a feel as well. So some people like Justin Thomas is an obvious easy one. Like Justin Thomas likes to take that club halfway back, see his hands. Like that's his feel thing. That's like a, a pre-shot thing. A lot like you do it behind the ball. You go sideways, you go through your pre-shot yeah. routine. Um, Which I'm thinking about changing up because I feel like I need to like feel like where the ball is going with the target. I think I'm going to be changing that up. I thought about that in the shower actually tonight <laughs> I, that's that i love that that's great that, yeah. yeah exactly that and that's a, that's kind of where i'm at too like right now for me I'm, I'm going through a little bit of a, a swing i'm trying a, a couple different things with my swing so for feel it's literally just like i'm just want to get my hands in the correct position so i'm just feeling at, at impact so all i do is i'm not even taking practice swings i'm taking little you know half quarter kind of hold on like just show the face of impact um, yeah and then it's just performance trigger and it's just swinging just swing freely don't yeah. like it, it it sounds so simple um so what happens is is the way that this scorecard works is it's great you, you're supposed to grade yourself out on every single shot and what does that mean that means during every shot do you do these three things to the best of your ability it does not matter what happens with the shot like you could shank one but if you do all these things you did it correctly and you're supposed to literally measure yourself over an entire round now okay. to give people an idea what the what like the measuring stick is so pretty much what you do is you so you have you're going to take your normal score which is just what you get like your real score and then you're going to take the number of quality shots that you hit so say you're playing a par four right you do this pre-shot routine you do it three out of four times that would be a three for the first hole but you make a five so you got a three on that hole and a five is your real score so the overall, uh, the way that the math works, super easy. You just divide the number of quality shots, so the pre-shot pyramid, by your real score. That's going to give you a percentage. Um, okay. To give you an idea, the way that, so, all, so he's got, you know, obviously thousands of people he's put through this process. So tour players, on average, are, are average above 90%. So 90% of the time, they're doing this exactly, those exact three things. So a perfect example is Phil Mickelson. So when Phil in a press conference says, and it's funny too, because like I actually 
they, you, you, you'll, you'll, you'll recognize this as well. But when he goes, yeah. yeah, there were two or three shots out there that I just, that I, that, that I didn't have it. I, I, you know, I, when they talk about those two or three shots, that's what they're talking about. Two or three shots where they didn't, like when Phil talks about the it, it's two, or three shots, it's two or three shots that he didn't go through his entire checkpoints for whatever reason, you know, yeah, yeah. whether it's a bad shot, whether it's, you know, it's that high emotion coming off a of birdie. It's that it slipped his mind and it's only one or two shots that cost them, which is crazy. Have you, have you put this into effect? Have you done this a little bit? I have not yet. So that, I was just so, going to ask you, like, how many quality shots do you think that you... So he says, on average, uh, we're, okay, so I'll, I'll go down the line. So a, a top 100 player is above 90% of the time they're executing this. Oh, okay. He said a, a web.com player is doing it at, they start at about 85% of the time. They're mentally going through this. Okay. Good, co good college players is low 80%. A single digit amateur would be like high 60s. And then like a, a Sunday warrior is generally in like the 30 to 40% of the time range. Wow. Um, Which and is that's crazy. if you know about it. A lot of people even may do it subconsciously, but like right. 30, 40, 30 to 40% is nothing. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's crazy too, because they talk about in my book, uh, they, they call them anyways shots. And they say to try and limit all of those because like how many times have you gone up to a ball, like say it's cart path only and you bring two clubs over to your ball, neither club works, but you hit the ball anyways. Like yeah, how yeah. many times does that shit happen where like, so it, it, that's kind of goes hand in hand about like just quality shots. Like if you have 15 of those anyway shots, like, that take you know you shoot 85 that's a good percentage of shots that you're not putting your full effort into yeah so what's even so this gets even crazier but his so obviously this guy is um you know extremely intelligent has everything that he's doing because anybody who's like you know these case studies or like he got a grant from the national um from the National Tennis Association to do like, these are legit like research projects. So everything that he does has like statistical evidence to back it up. So with his program, he said 90% uh, for tour players, this has a 90% success rate. So what does that mean? That means that if a tour player executes at 90% of his pre-shot routine, they're gonna shoot lower than like their average. 90% or something like that. It, it, it was wild. That's crazy. And what's crazy is he breaks it down. He does a, he goes through a bunch of great like case studies, but at that level, when you look at like the percentage change of three to 4%, like that, all that is, is like 12 shots during a tournament. So if you think about if they just focus and in, he talks with some real life examples about guys who lost their card and, or guys in his program that are doing this thing that have lost their card and, or like either just made it or like just won a tournament or just did some of these things. They, they actually all come back and they, cause they do all the math, they see their scorecards, they grade everything and they look at it and they're like, Oh my God, if I just focused on five more shots, like I would have been, that would have been the difference because you can like there's yeah. statistical evidence for it. It's crazy. That's so cool that there is actually like numbers to it. Like my book, like I said in the beginning, it, it's very, it's broad. There's a, there's a million different stories that you could like, I could tell all the different stories for the rest of the podcast, but um, it's just cool that you can actually like put numbers to what you're talking about there. Um, yeah. That's a lot easier than, than trying, like what I've been saying, how hard it is to kind of like do all the stuff from Zen golf. Um, 
it's it's more of like a practice thing but like putting numbers to it really really can help like you're like okay well if i focus more on that like once you get it it's almost like shooting uh like once you break 90s it's like okay well i can do that now so i feel like once you are once you learn how to focus for or have quality shots like you're saying for this long you know you can do it for another five shots and then that's once exactly you that, right like, that's growth mindset right there that's, that's not dude, setting I'm, barriers I'm probably yeah i'm probably gonna shoot a 64 i think uh, not not yeah this weekend <laughs> not during the masters um yeah. and so kind of going off exactly what you just said this is the craziest one that he said and i know a majority of our listeners listeners will, will be happy to hear this so he says verbatim and i wrote this down because these are not my words if you are an 18 handicap and have never thought about your mental process and you started from scratch today doing this doing doing just those simple three things and and looking at the the six pillars you would score in like the 30 to 40 percent range kind of like uh what you were just, were just asking but by the time that you get to 60 percent so this is literally just mental we're not talking about changing anything mechanically swing nothing just the way that you're thinking by the time that you get to 60 percent of um the shots that you hit again it's not results based it's just process based if on 60 percent of the shots you're hitting you're going through this process you will shave up to eight shots without doing anything to your swing Woo-hoo. that's a guarantee what they say what they say for about 13 handicap 13 <laughs> handicap they said you'll go up to a 15 for the masters you sandbag no no <laughs> i'll do what i got to do man <laughs> no so it's it, it, it's really interesting so we me and Nate kind of i told him about the whole thing we started listening to the book on the way up to belgrade um, yeah and there were a lot of other factors going into it. So I knew it wasn't going to be like, this wasn't going to be, there was just so much, we, we were trying to get content. We were doing a bunch of different things. It, this wasn't a, a go, like a go low thing, but I did want to experiment with it. Um, Nate definitely experimented with it. He shot his best. That was the best he played easily. And the craziest thing was, is he, job, wasn't, Nate. he wasn't keeping score at all. So he had no idea where he was. So like, oh wow. All, so all we wow. were doing was keeping track of putts and, and strokes. And wow. at the end of the day, I was like, hey, dude, what did you shoot? Like, honestly, like, what do you think you shot? And he's like, uh, you know, one, 116 to 120. And I was like, wow, that's kind of crazy that, like, you were – And he shot a 104. He shot huh? 104. Um, Talk so, about yeah, negative. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? You got this, dude. <laughs> it's, very, it's, very, it's very interesting. There, like you said, you can – it's tough because we've obviously we've obviously only you know you've I've re- I've listened to it twice now. It's a four and a half hour book. It's I get so much out of it each time that I go into it, and we're starting to like you know this is very it's very hard to verbalize as well. You're talking about mental process. Yeah, you know? I feel like I feel like we've just circled so many different things and haven't gotten anywhere. So I hope some people have gotten something from this. Yeah, obviously, like there, like I said, like Zen golf is so broad but like you will get something out of it. And if you take one thing out of the book and apply it to your round one time, it's, you're going to keep doing it. And then you can just keep adding stuff and just keep, it's all about growth. It's all about just like you've been saying, growth mindset and just getting better every time. And you're not going to go out there and literally, you're not going to shoot an 87 one day, then an 86 and then an 85. And then there's golf. There's too many variables to, 
to do that. But if you can take something away from every golf, uh, every, every time you play golf, I feel like that is like you're winning, you know? Exactly. And, yeah. and when you think about it, right, like what's the most cliche thing that anybody ever says about golf? It's, oh, golf's a mental game. Like, yeah. Oh, golf's a mental game. Okay, well, if golf's a mental game, then shouldn't we be doing something? Shouldn't, pra- shouldn't we be doing something to, like, attack that mental game? Shouldn't we be well, playing that mental play- game? Well, here, like, you could play devil's advocate and say, like, if somebody's mastered the mental game like Tiger Woods, why didn't he win every tournament? Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. so, so just because you can handle the mental game doesn't mean that you're always going to have the physical side of it either. Um, and there's so many different things, like, to the swing and, like, what you can do and all that. So, like, there's just so much to golf. That, so much. Like, it, it's, it's so deep. But if you can if you can take a little bit away from any of the stuff that we said today, um, good for you, I guess. Like- yeah, and, and it, it, it's so funny too because, and this is what the guy talks about. But you know, golf is like we as people we're so result orientated, like we're so result base orientated, and in order to like be an elite golfer or to, to get into that fl- that zone, to reach that mental zone, everything is like, you can't be thinking anything about results base, which is golf is the most numbers game of all time. So when, when you talk about, Oh, golf's the most mental game. Well, that's the reason that it's the biggest mental game because the way that we're hardwired as people and the way that our brains function is so opposite of like, the purest form of like how we can be athletes. Like it, they're like two very different things almost. Well, it's so different than any other sport. If you think about it, like no other variables, no other sport. Do you call yourself out on, on, uh, foul, like strokes and stuff like that. Like it's a complete, like just on that, that's a whole different thing. But like, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's a yeah. wild thing, man. I'm glad. I want to, uh, I, I want to circle back to the, the putting thing with Tiger specifically. Um, so okay. what, what I was learning as far as mental, I, you, you'll think this is really interesting. So one of the reasons that uh, people who study some of the greatest putters in the world are this guy that's writing this book. The reason that makes Tiger so great is that Tiger is completely feel-based. Um, and okay, so you know how we talk about being in the zone and slowing down time. I mean, like Tiger's the most perfect example that dude can swing a club at 120, you know, 118 miles an hour. And he can tell you exactly how many RPMs that golf ball is going, how many yards it's going. Like he feels it on the face. He talks about being able to feel the ball on the face. Like that's how you know you're in that mental, like just a different tier, just a different level. Like I don't even know. I can't even (laughs) think of a word, but Right. So talking about putting specifically. So the way that Tiger was taught to putt was extremely visual based. And Tiger's dad told him as he, when he's going to putt, it's look at the ball, find a spot that you're going to hit. So your, your aim small, miss small, smaller, the better, find a spot that you're going to hit and then picture that spot. And that that's all I want you to picture that spot. And when you look over the ball, I almost want you to take a screenshot, a visual picture of that spot. So all you're thinking about is that spot. You're not thinking about anything mechanical, anything like that. And why is that important? And 
interestingly enough to the Sergio point, and that's why I was so glad you brought that up because yeah. what happens is, is that when, as human beings, when we are under pressure, we revert to dominant habits. And so what does that mean is dominant habits are, are habits that we created, you know, a long time ago, just whatever, you know, whatever you've done for however many years, like Tiger's process is like a dominant habit to him. And so what that means is that visualization, that, that point. So a dominant habit, um, dominant habits. So what does that mean? Well, when the pressure is at its biggest moment, you want to be able to like not even be thinking about anything mechanically or anything. You want to revert to your quote unquote dominant habit. So Tiger's habit in the biggest pressure moments and all his insane, how many times have we seen Tiger like roll these crazy clutch putts in? Oh yeah. It's that nothing, it's that the thing, the thing that's crazy is, is that nothing changes for, changes for Tiger. Tiger's still doing the same thing that he's been doing for 20, 30 years. The circumstance right. just changes. But in his head, that, that doesn't just matter. Another, it's yeah. just another putt. So he's, all he's doing is going through his same process of visualizing a spot and hitting that spot. And yeah. as, 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 as the moment gets bigger for a lot of people, like Sergio specifically, when he's closing his eyes there, all he's doing is visualizing that so that we talk about creativity. That's the right side of your brain, not the left side. The left side is your subconscious. It's going to think about all the worst things that can happen. Well, yeah. all he's doing is finding a visual and he's just looking at something. He's not even letting himself think. And he's just letting his dominant habits take over. Just his, his normal putting stroke. He can make that footer a hundred times. But oh, yeah. when you allow that secondary thought to come in and all that craziness, oh, yeah. that's where it gets. It's blocking out. It's, it, you Tiger's can almost a, go. Moral of the story, Tiger's elite at it all. You could almost go to uh, Happy Gilmore. Block out the bad. Yes. Do like, yes. Ride yes. the bull. Feel the flow. Like, Feel the flow. That's so true. So true. Feel the flow. Yeah. No, that, I mean, we just, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see how this goes over. I don't know if this, yeah, made, me too. Like, I don't I know if this like, made any sense. Hey, um, chapter one. Like, this that's is, it. <laughs> it's, it's definitely something that we're obviously going to be talking about. So, um, yeah. you know, our process and everything and, who knows? Maybe in a couple months we'll actually be able to put it into a nice little ten-minute bit and and explain what we're what we just tried to do in an hour yeah. or however long that was. Uh, but we're learning. Yeah, I hope uh, I hope everybody enjoyed. Kind of, I hope you got I hope you got something out of it. Yeah, uh, whether it's a little thing, but I think uh, at the end, like go read or go listen to both these books. Uh, yeah, sent you- off by Doctor Joseph Parent. Uh, it's a number one bestseller, very broad view on everything, good perspective, change your perspective on different things. A couple of the stories really hit home with me. Um, I might like just tell one of the stories after, like at every podcast or something, or definitely in the future we'll be, we'll be talking more about this stuff. But this is our first deep dive into the, the mental side of things. And I think it, I think it went pretty decent. <laughs> we're going to find out. We're going to find out soon enough. <laughs> and, my, and my guy was uh, Dr. Larden. Um, the book is Mastering the Mental, what is it? Mastering, Mastering Golf's Mental Game. Check out his website. That actually, um, the, the pre-shot pyramid is, you can download it, the scorecard. It's, it, it's extremely simple. Um, and just try the, try the three, three things out when you go out to play next time. Yeah. And uh, I can't wait to try it out on Saturday. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll be at the ledges in Maine. Yeah.
watch out Jordan, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, we haven't, uh, we haven't left them on the 19th in a long time, so we'll leave Let's them there. Go. I'll see you this weekend. Let's go.